Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, April 27th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so we got a bunch of news to talk about. We didn't have a news episode on Friday because we did the water cooler, and there were some some breaking Star Wars news that happened from Wednesday to Friday. Uh, let's start off with the biggest bit of that Star Wars news, and that is that there is a new Star Wars TV series coming to Disney Plus from the creator of Russian Doll. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Leslie Headland, who is the showrunner and one of the uh, co-creators of Netflix's incredible series, Russian Doll, is developing a new Star Wars show for Disney+. Plus. Details are pretty slim at the moment. We do know that it is going to be female-centric, and it's going to be set in a different part of the Star Wars timeline than other projects. So those are pretty much the, the hard details that we have about the show right now. So in terms of speculating about what that could mean... Um, I mean, obviously, Slash Film was the one who sort of uh, exclusively revealed that Rosario Dawson is set to show up in The Mandalorian Season 2, uh, season two playing a live-action version of Ahsoka Tone, uh, Tano, one of the you know sort of fan-favorite uh, Star Wars characters from the world of animation. And Bob Iger, the former Disney CEO, has talked previously about how The Mandalorian could create spinoffs of its own. So maybe there's a chance that it's uh, an Ahsoka Tano show. Um, There are several other uh, uh, possibilities here. But Peter, what do you think about about all of this? Well, first of all, let's talk about Leslie Headland, who I first saw at at Sundance. I saw what? Well, actually, she she did write some episodes of Terriers. Like, I think she wrote the episode that Ryan Johnson directed. Uh, that's probably true. I'll fact check that as you continue to talk. I believe that is true. And uh, she directed, she made her feature directorial debut with Bachelorette, which I saw at Sundance. And I was honestly not a fan of because all the characters are kind of mean and unlikable. 
But I did like her sleeping with other people that came out in 2015, and I loved, 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 loved Russian Doll, which is a, the show on Netflix where it's kind of a time loop series. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I'm very interested. I know she's a hardcore Star Wars fan. She's had in her Twitter bio for years now, like, references to Star Wars. I She's actually – she doesn't follow me on Twitter, but she's engaged with me in – Star Wars discussion over the years on on the service and so I know she's like a huge fan I guess okay see you're saying what could this be we know this is going to be a story that focuses on a female character of some kind like that's is that all we know for sure that and the different part of the Star Wars timeline than other projects, which, you know, there, there are a couple different options we could run through really quickly. One of them, uh, maybe the least likely, is that it's a show focused on Rey set after the events of Rise of Skywalker, because Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, has previously said that they're looking at the next 10 years of Star Wars stories and looking at how to narratively continue the adventures of Rey, Poe, uh, Finn, BB-8, characters like that um, beyond uh Star Wars Episode Nine. So th- theoretically, uh, you know, a Ray Disney Plus show could make sense. I don't think that's going to happen personally, but uh, I-, I think the most likely option is uh, for a show to center on this character called Doctor Afra, who I think we maybe have talked about briefly on the podcast before. But essentially, she's sort of like the the Star Wars universe's Indiana Jones. She's like an archaeologist character who has appeared in a ton of Star Wars comics and things like that. She has her own title and everything. Um, she's the sort of morally gray, complex character that has become something of a fan favorite in her own right uh, over the past few years as well. So um, that's, and I think there were actually rumors that uh, a, a Dr. Afra show was maybe being developed um, last year. So maybe all of that is is converging on all of these pieces falling into place for Leslie Headland to be directing a Dr. Afra show. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know. There's also the possibility that it could be a completely new character set in completely, you know, new place in the star Wars universe. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think your guess that it is Ahsoka, like a standalone Ahsoka series is probably right. Like when I first reported that Rosario Dawson was going to be cast as Ahsoka in this upcoming season of the Mandalorian, I, you know, was first to speculate that Ahsoka would get her own sta- This would like propel her into her own standalone live action series. And if you follow the events of star Wars rebels, not to get super nerdy and stuff, but that series kind of leaves her off on a mission along with Sabine Wren to who is a Mandalorian to try to find a lost Jedi named Ezra so I think that would be the best idea for for that standalone series. The, the only problem here is this report says it takes place outside of the timeline of the current Star Wars projects. And technically, that would be going on around the same time as The Mandalorian. So I'm not sure if that, if that quite fits. Uh, Brad, you're, you're the other huge Star Wars fan on this podcast. What do you think of Leslie Headland doing Star Wars, and what do you think she's going to be doing? Uh, yeah, so my experience with Leslie Headland mostly comes from her feature film career. Uh, Sleeping with Other People, I think, is an outstanding movie. Um, and I'm going to watch Russian Doll sometime this week. I, I think I'm just mostly excited just to um, have a filmmaker. Oh, yeah, her. on Twitter, you like put a poll out asking people what you should watch next. 
And I think Russian Doll like won your poll, right? It did, yeah, yeah. It came, uh, came away on top, so um, that was what I was leaning towards anyway. So it kind of worked out, but uh, yeah, I'm just I think a filmmaker like her who has uh, mostly comedic and indie sensibilities jumping into Star Wars is very exciting, especially knowing how big of a Star Wars fan she is. I would like it if it were something entirely original that doesn't involve any characters we're already familiar with, um, whether it's in comic books or TV series or anything like that. Come on, Brad, uh, we're not that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it does seem unlikely, but that's that would be, I think, my dream scenario, just so that she has a, a little bit more um, bigger sandbox to play in. Yeah. I, the only thing that worries me about this is, like, I can't imagine what a Leslie Headland Star Wars movie would even look like or feel like Chris you're, you're a big fan of this director I know you liked Russian Doll quite a bit what what does a Star Wars movie from Hedlund look like a show a show I mean a show look like I mean yeah I, I don't know I mean all I want is I, all right there are two things I want one is I would love for Natasha Leon to be in this just because I immediately associate her with this filmmaker and two I would kill for this to be just a completely new story about new characters we've never seen before or heard of it's, i'm just tired of star wars constantly going back to the well and, and giving people things they're familiar with and i get it that's that's what people love but i'm 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 dying for something new like give me like a comedy or something that has nothing to do with boba fett or yoda or any of those people that's what i want and i know that's not going to happen but that's that's what i really want well the, the mandalorian is a completely new character Chris? Sure he is. He's literally Boba Fett. Come on. <laughs> I, I will say this. I do think the future of Star Wars films are going to be like new and original. And I think the TV stuff is always going to be kind of like connected to something because that's like the master it needs to serve. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I think it's going to be Ahsoka Tano. We'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But uh, there there was some also some other Ahsoka news that came out over the weekend you know her character first appears in the clone wars animated series and movie and she doesn't appear in the live action star wars prequels a lot of fans have over the years been upset over that like because she's a huge character in fandom now she's grown to become this big i mean she is literally the person who starts up the rebellion in 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 the canon uh and she was not in those movies but apparently she was originally set to be Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Dave Filoni was a part of this uh, big oral history of that character, the entire Ahsoka Tono uh, character that Vanity Fair put together over the weekend. And um, essentially he says, we called her Ashla in the beginning. That was 2005, and that worked on several levels for me. I think it was the name given to one of the young Jedis that Yoda was training in Attack of the Clones. There was a little Togruta girl. I think that's the name of the alien species that uh, Ahsoka is a part of. Uh, he says, we kicked around the idea that maybe that was Ahsoka, but then we thought the age didn't really work out for it to be the same character. She was too young in the film. So that's his quote. And if you go to our articles, you can see this photo, this still from Attack of the Clones, where there's a group of kids who are known as the Bear Clan that appeared in that movie. And this girl on the, on the far left uh, clearly looks like Ahsoka. And I guess that's the one that they were considering Um you know, maybe sort of retconning because Attack of the Clones came out in 2002 and Ahsoka didn't actually appear until 2008. Um, so it seemed like they were, 
you know, it, it would have been a classic retcon situation <laughs> where they're just like going back into Star Wars lore and looking for something that that could have lined up, but uh, the pieces didn't quite fit the timeline that they were looking for. Yeah, that's a shame. I, one of my problems with Star Wars is that a lot of the ancillary, the lot of the TV, the animated, the books, the comics, the video games, it really feels like they're like retconning new characters into the events that we already know. And I wish there was more like thought of, you know, let's put this character in here to set up this thing that will be, you know, that fans will be able to enjoy in the books and, and stuff like that. But um you know, let's talk about another project that's in, in the works, and this is the Star Wars TV series, the Cassian Andor TV series, and they have added a couple new cast members. Chris, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so Genevieve O'Reilly, who plays uh, Mon Mothma, is that how you pronounce that character's name? I've never actually said it out loud. Yes. Yes? Okay. Yes. <laughs> that character, uh, she played that character in um, Attack of the Clones and also Ro- uh, Rogue One, and she's coming back to replies that role on the Cassian Andor show. And Denise Goff, who I'm not really familiar with, is also on the show now, and there's no details about who she's playing. But those are the two new cast members. And then Tony Gilroy, who co-wrote Rogue One and also did some reshoots, I believe, on that film, is now the showrunner of, of the series. I think that's probably the biggest news here. Who is he replacing? There was someone else involved. Uh, Stephen Schiff was originally the showrunner, and that person is now out. Yeah, that's interesting. I know previously, last week on the podcast, Ben, you were talking about this Rogue One like reunion audio commentary from the screenwriters, and they were talking a lot about how Tony Gilroy changed the movie, mm-hmm. and especially this character's backstory. So it's interesting to see that he's going to be at the helm of steering the ship of telling, I guess, more of this character's backstory Yeah, in this TV series. Uh, we, we also have learned when this TV series is going to be set in the Star Wars timeline. Brad, what do we know? Uh, yes, there was uh, an official update from StarWars.com uh, that revealed the series will take place five years before the events of Star Wars A New Hope. So that means uh, we'll be getting a lot more I, uh, spycraft kind of stuff from uh, Cassian Andor since, you know, that's the the big part of the struggle of the rebel, rebel alliance against the Empire. Yeah. You know what that means? That means we got five seasons of TV <laughs> that they could possibly plan. That's that's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> Speaking of seasons of television, Better Call Saul, one of my favorite shows on television, actually, not one of my my favorite show on television is going to be wrapping up the series. We have just learned that. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, well, we, we knew that season six was going to be the final season, um, but there was some debate on whether or not when we might see it, because uh, as everyone knows, pretty much everything, all productions are shut down right now due to the, the coronavirus. And a lot of people were theorizing we might not end up seeing this final season until 2022 just because of delays but um the showrunners uh well peter gould who's the new showrunner and vince gilligan who co-created the show uh did an extensive interview where they they said they're both really hoping to have you know have the show ready for next year um you know they don't have the final say in it obviously you know how is that possible though they're not filming yet right 
Well, their plan is to start filming it this summer, I actually believe. So again, that's you know, that that's all up in the air whether or not that's going to happen or not. But the the plan is to start shooting this year and have it ready for next year. Um they're also planning for 13 episodes, which is um, uh, more than usual. The, the, the seasons usually consist of 10 episodes, so they're going to have a few more to, to wrap things up. Yeah, they'll, they'll just film it in the middle of the Albuquerque desert, and all the crew positions will be six feet apart. I mean, yeah, they could do that. That <laughs> sounds safe to me. <laughs> I really wonder how Hollywood is going to restart and how they're going to shoot things. I, I imagine that, like, above the line people and also like cast members like there's going to be kind of like a like don't go within 10 feet of you know oh uh, yeah i'm sure there's going to be like all new rules and there'll be there'll be no more like craft services tables and stuff like that it's gonna be crazy also i just want to correct myself it's actually they plan to start filming in in the autumn not the summer so that does give them a little time to maybe get get back up and running but we'll see yeah it'll be a little bit cooler out in that uh that yeah. Albuquerque <laughs> desert. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about Back to the Future. One plot hole that fans have been talking about for years, which isn't actually in a plot hole, but w- whatever. Uh, the writer of Back to the Future has finally addressed this concern. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so for the longest time, uh, people have always pointed out that it's a little weird that George and Lorraine McFly don't seem to remember uh, what... Calvin Klein, uh, Marty McFly, looks like when their son, Marty, grows up to look exactly like him. Uh, People have thought that it's kind of weird since Marty played such an integral role in getting them together and uh, falling in love and getting married. Uh, And it's just it's always been a point of contention that fans have kind of amusingly pointed out just, you know, for for fun. Uh, And some discussion was sparked on this because uh, James Gunn called attention to this on Twitter during this viral Twitter thing that's been going on where people have been picking uh, their five movies that they think are absolutely perfect. And James Gunn agrees that Back to the Future is pretty much a, a perfect you know, script and movie, but he does point out this one issue that fans have had. Uh, thankfully, Bob Gale has cleared it up, and it's really just more of a, a common sense thing that you know, explains why they don't remember that uh, their kid looks like Calvin Klein from 1955. Uh, He says, quote, bear in mind, George and Lorraine McFly only knew Marty slash Calvin for eight days when they were 17. And they didn't even see him every one of those eight days. So many years later, they still might remember that interesting kid who got them together on their first date. But I would ask anyone to think back on their own high school days and ask themselves how well they remember a kid who might have been at their school for even a semester or someone you went out with just one time. If you had no photo reference after 25 years, you probably just have a hazy recollection. And also, when you think about it, there's no saying that maybe they did address this at one point, you know, uh, during Marty's time growing up. You know, we we just maybe don't see it happen. Um, But yeah, so that that's that's the explanation. (laughs) It makes sense. And also, there was like a, a thing that happened over the weekend where Mark Hamill retweeted someone asking him a question, asking why R2-D2 didn't tell Luke Skywalker that his father was Darth Vader since, you know, Anakin Skywalker created him and he knows that his father is Darth Vader. And Mark Hamill responded that he didn't have like an answer for this person who was asking. R2-D2 does not know that... <laughs> Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. 
the the only per- people I think that knew that was like Palpatine and Obi Wan, maybe Yoda by extension. <laughs> um, but like yeah, I don't I, know, I I hate these plot holes that people come up with. That like if you think about it, like if you actually go back to the source for Till and then like have like a thought about it, like make complete sense. Here here's a question to think about when it comes to that Back to the Future thing. So there in that scene after Marty leaves George and Lorraine for, at school dance. And Lorraine says, Marty, such a nice name. She thinks it's such a nice name that they don't use the name until their third kid. Hey, uh, George was the successful writer and he had better, he had other ideas for names. And then like finally on the third kid, like he was like, okay, fine. I'll let you have that one. Yeah. I'm really glad they went with that good name, Dave, for his older brother. (laughs) I mean, also George knows that Lorraine was had a crush on on Marty. So what would like if you were George, would you want? No, but that's her... the thing is, no, George doesn't think Marty has. Uh, I mean, he knows like Lorraine has a crush on her, but like it's Marty helped them get together. So like no hard feelings, man. <laughs> I guess I, I don't even think this. This is a nitpick. This isn't a plot hole. <laughs> This is what they call a cinema sin, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> That's their whole reason for things like this. It's all cinema, cinema sin. How does he say it? Cinema sin's fault. They've they've put these these nitpick approaches into people's heads, and it's ruined everything. I do want to ask you guys though, like with w- with all the dis- this discussion going around about the perfect movie, a lot of people are saying Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I don't think it's necessarily a cinema sin. I, I I do think it is a little bit more. Not that it ruins the movie in any way. The fact that Indiana Jones, if he was not in this movie, the same, the ending, the climactic thing where that kills the Nazis and stuff like that, that would have still happened the same exact way. So d- does that? I don't want to call it a plot hole, nitpick, like make Raiders of the Lost Ark any less of like the great movie it is. No, no. I, I hate that. I, I hate that observation so much. I no, hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Why, why do you hate it? Because that's the it, uh, that, that, uh, it just misses the entire point of of the movie. Like that's the uh, what is the <clears throat> entire point? Like I don't know. I'm playing the devil's advocate here, Brad. But like, Indy had no effect on the final outcome of the movie of the of the no. But films aren't always just about story, right? It's a collection of, of several different things. And yeah. it's it's not, I mean, I, I guess on a pure story sense, you could say that. But that doesn't, like, invalidate the fact that the movie kicks ass, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it doesn't, oh, oh, it, it totally doesn't take kicks away, ass. It doesn't take away from any other aspect of it or, like, the, the uh, creation of this character or any of these other... Um, you know, the amalgamation of the way that all of these pulp references were were sort of like brought together to to create this new thing. Like to say that this movie is uh, is useless because this event would have happened without its protagonist. I think <laughs> I mean, that's such a myopic way of viewing things. I guess. But I feel like if a movie came out today, if like, you know, Star Wars, The Last Jedi came out today and that was. If we if critics had that realization, they would not love that movie as much. as Like, I feel like th- we would we would hammer any Marvel movie that had this as like, you know, the bad guys would have died without, you know, <laughs> the superheroes even doing anything. No, 
Maybe, but I, I still think that that would be a myopic way of looking yeah. at things. I would like to think there's more to a movie than just its story. While, of course, the story is incredibly important, I, I just don't think it's the the one pillar that uh, that should always be held up above everything else. Well, movie... Plus, the, it's, the idea is that, too, like, is no one knew what was going to happen. And so it's him, you know, doing the right thing by trying to stop Nazis from getting a hold of it. Yeah. No, I, I listen, I don't disagree with both of you. I'm just wondering, does like if you think of the idea of a perfect movie, does that prevent it from being the perfect movie? Like a perfect flawless movie? I guess it depends on whether or not you consider that to be a flaw or just like an interesting observation or like a fact, you know, like they're, they're, it's the, just, the, it the, goes the down biggest, to each person. The biggest problem with the, these sorts of arguments, at least in my opinion, is they operate under the assumption that there's like a checklist that movies have to follow and like they have to tick off every box and that then and only then can they be perfect. And that's really not how art works and but, it always bugs but, me when people try second. to boil like, it down to that I, I think at the core of almost any story is a protagonist overcoming something something bad and a bad obstacle of some kind i mean and cr- creating Indy, a better world for himself Indy and overcomes other people. a ton of obstacles in that movie <laughs> yeah. pretty much every scene is like an obstacle that he overcomes i mean i, yeah. I mean he, he saves marion still <laughs> and then on, and on, t- and on top of that yeah, like true, true. You, have, you have to remember the fact that regardless of whether or not the arc it ended up having mystical supernatural religious powers uh it's the idea of stopping the nazis from getting a hold of it because then they could just use it as more propaganda and to instill fear in everybody and that's not to and that's also like completely ignoring the personal journey that he goes on where, you know, he starts off that movie saying, like, I don't believe in all that, you know, malarkey, all that mumbo jumbo. And then he comes face to face with like this yeah. religious supernatural experience. And that that, you know, whether or not that profoundly changes him throughout the rest of the franchise, uh, you know, there could we can have that debate <laughs> if you want to. But um, but he is definitely a different person at the end of the movie than he was at the start. So I think. Oh, yeah, you know, he has an arc for sure. You're, you're looking at the or not you, but the people who are making this nitpick are looking at like the world changing implications of this and not necessarily like the interior character changes, which are a lot of times just as important if not more important than you know the world changing stuff yeah the real arc is indiana jones (laughs) character arc of the covenant (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on from there uh let's talk about amc theaters they have a plan to reopen movie theaters and it won't be until the big studio movies hit chris tell us about it yeah, so uh, movie theaters, they're, they're still playing it by ear. You know, Cinemark wants to open by July, and now AMC seems to be saying they want to open by July, too. Um, oddly enough, there is a movie due out in June still. Um, there's actually a movie due out in May, too. The A24 has yet to move The Green Knight from May, and Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island is still set for June theatrical. But... Even if those dates hold, which I don't think they will, AMC theaters still don't want to reopen until um, it's close to the time for both Tenet and Mulan. And really, Tenet seems to be like the end game here. They're aiming for that to be the big movie that that they reopen for. Um, 
And again, this is all up in the air as everything is regarding our current situation. This could, this could change on a whim, but as of now they're, they're aiming for that July reopening. Okay. Let's, let's theorize here just for a second that movie theaters do reopen in July and tenant is the first movie to hit theaters and it is not also available VOD because you know Chris Nolan's a <laughs> stickler for the theatrical experience will people show up uh I think so um I just I, I have a hard time movie theaters and you know pretty much everything is designed in a way are there it's set up so that you're supposed to pack people in like and, you know, I'm hearing all these theories about, oh, movie theaters will reopen and everyone will have to skip a seat. But that's not what people that's not what like studios want. They want packed houses. They want every seat to be filled. Like I know when I go to um, press screenings here, they're they're double press screenings with contests. And so it's like contest winners and all they care about for those screenings are filling seats. They want every goddamn seat. filled. I, I, I have an answer for you here, though. Okay. If Tenant comes out, it will be the only new release in Hollywood in months. And basically, yes. it could be in every single screen of a multiplex. And thus, right. you could have the room between people. <laughs> That's true. They wouldn't have anything else to compete with until, I guess, Mulan comes out. So that is a good theory. But I'm talking like the long term. Like, I just don't know how. I honestly don't yeah. know how movie theaters are, are going to bounce back for this. I, I hope they do. I just. I'm having a hard time picturing, like, say things are somewhat back to normal in July. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I, at the same time, there are people who are just desperate for this to end and they'll, they'll take any solution they can get. So I don't know. It's, it's really, it's really tough to gauge. Um, I mean, I'll go see it, I guess. If it's opening in July, I want to see this movie. I'll, I'll risk it, I guess. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I that... think the most convincing argument that I've seen against Tenet actually coming out in July is that the state of the entire rest of the world is still so much in flux and huge movies like that are so reliant not only on the American box office but the global box office too. So, you know, even if America or like let's say a handful of crazy states or something are like, "All right, we're opening up our theaters and, you know, you guys are already talking about this sort of like uh like ticky tack notion of like getting, you know, a couple people in here and there. And it's not going to be the full groundswell of support that the studio would have if they just held off and moved it to next summer or, you know, 2022 even, or something like who knows how long, you know, this whole thing is going to last to the point where people want to come back in full force. But I think that is what Warner brothers is aiming for. Like Chris was saying. And, and if you take away the global aspect of this like think about how this movie is going to stack up uh you know opening weekend and and the entire theatrical run um compared to christopher nolan's previous movies like it's going to be so diminished from what it would have been in a normal situation and i don't know if warner brothers is willing to you know take that loss uh or, or perceived loss or whatever in between potential loss or when they could easily just be like, all right, we're going to do what several other 
studios and movies have already done and just push this, you know, even more. So I think that's the biggest argument that I've seen so far that has me thinking. I think it's a very, very low likelihood that Tenet actually comes out in July. Also, I have a I have a live update. Um, I just said the King of Staten Island is still scheduled for June. It no longer is. It just broke that that's going straight to VOD. So there you go. Theaters don't have to worry about that anymore. But the interesting thing here is Warner Brothers has pushed all of their other movies back, except for Tenet. And it feels like they are anticipating that this could be... I don't know. It it feels like there's something going on here with this movie. Like, that there's some kind of hope that maybe Chris Nolan thinks he can be the savior to, you know, theaters I mean, I I really... I think it's just them really counting on that that Chris Nolan appeal. Like, it's, it's a great, like goal line for them it's like all right here's the movie because you know here's the thing that we're gonna hang our our hopes and dreams on and uh that could backfire spectacularly but this is this is this is what they want i think okay we have final one final story for today and this is kevin smith's Mallrats sequel over the weekend he gave us a glimpse into what it might be about brad tell us about it Yes, in case you didn't know, uh, Kevin Smith is working on a sequel to Mallrats, uh, the movie that came out 25 years ago, his follow-up to Clerks. Uh, It's called Twilight of the Mallrats, and he provided a little bit of a hint as to what it might be about since he just recently finished the first draft of the screenplay uh, while in quarantine. And uh, what he says is that uh, it'll be bringing back all the original characters, uh, Renee, Willem, Gwen, Brandy, T.S. Trish, Mrs. Venning, and even LaFours, as well as Jay and Silent Bob. Um, And basically he says that it'll show what happens when the sidewalk sales end and happily ever after is easier to say than live. So uh, previously he talked about how the pandemic situation uh, having a large effect on the already forthcoming uh, downfall of shopping malls Uh, was exacerbating things, and he was uh, bringing that into the plot for Mallrats. So uh, it sounds like maybe the mall from the original movie will likely be closing and will tie into some kind of midlife crisis that the characters have. And to me, it seems like this Happily Ever After will be something of like uh, a retcon of the the, the epilogue scenes that we got at the end of the original Mallrats that seemed to paint this portrait of all the characters, you know, getting what they wanted and having this this great life. But it sounds like we'll see that it maybe turned out to be anything but that. So do you think those epilogues actually happened? Do you think they got married in front of the Jaws, you know? Yeah, or... I'm, I'm sure they did. But then, like, you, you know, it's the uh, it'll probably dive into the whole idea of maybe, you know, uh, they'll get divorced and. We already know that Brody, uh, you know, he had the Tonight Show, but he doesn't have it anymore because he's back working in his own comic book shop, as we've seen in the Viewers Universe movies that have followed. So I imagine they'll just be, you know, realizing that this, you know, middle part of life isn't, uh, you know, quite as easy to move through as they it seemed like it was at the end of the first movie. And I imagine that probably comes from Kevin Smith's own experience, especially in the wake of his uh, near fatal heart attack. Wow, I've never thought about that before. That Brody went from hosting the Tonight Show to running a comic book store. Is that like the biggest fall in Hollywood history? I, mean, I don't know about <laughs> Hollywood history, but <laughs> sure, in the VS universe. <laughs> okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. 
and rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Wednesday. And Peter, just in case you're still recording, Leslie Headland did indeed write the screenplay for Manifest Destiny, an episode of Terriers that Ryan Johnson directed. Yes, I knew I was right. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. This time it was captured on audio, so <laughs> so it looks it looks better. <laughs> because when I'm wrong, it's 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 usually in the Slack channel for me, you guys, and I look like an idiot. So, yeah, so but no one the... no one knows about that except us. So. Yeah. And, and unless I, you release this audio, now everyone will know. <laughs> if only I wasn't the person editing this podcast and could <laughs> edit this out. Hmm.